Welcome to Blockchain Recorded, the podcast for the tech curious, where we talk about anything and everything related to the exponentially evolving crypto, blockchain, and Web 3.0 space. Our mission is simple, to share knowledge, facilitate discourse, and help evolve education in blockchain fundamentals, decentralization solutions, and relevant use cases for today's digital economy. We at Blockchain Recorded are not registered investment advisors and do not deal with financial or trading token elements, nor offer any licensed financial services. The content of this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, while the opinions of all parties involved are their own. I'm your host, Nina Tserar, and now let's talk blockchain. Before we begin, this podcast is possible by our sponsor at Ambire. The Ambire wallet is one of the top products in crypto asset management. It is the first open source, non-custodial smart wallet that delivers exceptional user experience combined with solid security. With Ambire wallet, users can easily navigate the world of Web3. It comes packed with features like built-in swaps, cross-chain bridges, integrated earning opportunities, and more. In addition, Ambire offers things like human-readable transaction parsing, eliminating ERC-20 approvals and front-running protection. The smart wallet uses gas abstractions that allow for unique features like paying for gas with stable coins. Users can batch multiple transactions to save time and gas fees. The wallet also supports NFTs and allows you to connect to any dApp via Wallet Connect. You can use it with an email and password or add hardware wallets or hot wallets as signers to upgrade your security. And the best part? Ambire speaks human. The UI is friendly and informative, ensuring you understand what you're doing and eliminating risks for mistakes. Ambire wallet users are currently eligible for continuous wallet token rewards. To learn more and get your Ambire account today, visit www.ambire.com. That is A-M-B-I-R-E.com. So today I speak with Denison Bertram, the founder of Tally, a DAO operations platform. Tally provides tools for decentralized decision-making and governance for distributed ledger ecosystems. In my conversation with Denison, we will try to introduce the basics of DAOs and take them further in terms of their role in the Web3 ecosystem, their legal implementations, their tools and use cases, and of course, wherever our DAO conversation takes us along the way. So Denison, welcome to our podcast. Thank you for having me, Nina. You entered crypto well before the Web3 term became a thing. Uh, you created a Bitcoin exchange 10 years ago or a little over 10 years ago, founded various crypto-related projects. So one of them is Tally, like I just mentioned. Uh, yet you're also a renowned fashion and commercial photographer, having shot for some of the world's top brands, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So that's a truly fascinating and an eclectic background. So I'm just curious, I know you've spoken a lot about your background um, and your path, but enlighten us. And uh, I'm just curious, what brought you to Europe and, and namely the Czech Republic, where you founded the Bitcoin exchange in the OG days? Uh, so uh, that was a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, but I came to Europe in the early 2000s because um, I kind of wanted to change. I was, uh, you know... I just started university. Um, America didn't really feel like the place for me at the time. America still actually looked different. People sort of think that 20 years is not very long, but actually America looked very different. And at the time, I felt like being a person of color, trying to be in tech was very difficult. I mean, frankly, 
really racist and I didn't feel like I had time for that shit mm-hmm. <laughs> to be frank. Yeah. Um, so, so I left because I just wasn't interested in dealing with it and that was totally the right move. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, 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 I left for, you know, sort of like greener pastures and went to the Czech Republic, which at the time was going through a great um, cultural change still. Right. Uh, it had been, you know, 10 years after the revolution, but the society had not yet really congealed into what it would be. So it was a, a great moment of change. Uh, and it was just fascinating, fascinating experience. You know, um, all of sort of like Central and Eastern Europe was in flux. Everything was different mm-hmm. every day, every year, everything looked different. Mm-hmm. And so it was a special time for sure. You know, I, I like to, to joke about how, you know, back then you can meet someone and make a, a, a deal to see them again in like a week or two. And you'd say like 5 p.m. on the corner of, you know, this street or that street, and you didn't have cell phones. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, a week later, you'd just be there, right? Like, you know, it was really fascinating <laughs> looking days. back on not having the internet be like a regular part of your life mm-hmm. and living in a different place. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, just a special, special time. That, that was, you know, 10 years before um, uh, Bitcoin came around. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when, when Bitcoin came around, you know, the world already looked pretty different. So that was sort of like just a different era mm-hmm. in and of itself. But yeah, the early Bitcoin days were pretty crazy. When I when I created the exchange in, in the Czech Republic, um, you know, it was like monopoly money and people thought it was just the dumbest, the dumbest thing in the world. Um, so it was, it was very hard. You can imagine that like, you know, y- Europe is notoriously difficult to raise uh, startup capital from. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine how hard it would be to raise startup capital for a business selling monopoly money. 10 years ago. Uh, so it was just, it was just like a really really hard time, but people were interested. The people who got it really got it Mm -hmm. um, and were really excited about it. And it was was kind of a wild journey. Was this more, were you part of a sort of a local just community? Were these like all Czech people or were you sort of living more of a, did you have like the expat sort of? Um, So there wasn't, there were uh, Czech Bitcoin people. There were. there, there were. There's a guy, Marek, who by the name Slash, he invented pooled mining, which is, you know, when you could mine Bitcoin with like a whole group of other people and you like share the hash power. Mm. Um, so there were like some of the critical early Bitcoin and blockchain people in, in the Czech Republic, but it wasn't a community. It, it wasn't like, a, mm. it wasn't a community. There were, there were so few of us that we would meet up at sort of like conferences and meetups. Uh, there was one in particular in, in London in 2012, I think. Okay, uh, so you, you, it wasn't in the Czech Republic. You had to go out. Yeah, there they, just weren't, there really weren't that many people yet mm. Who, mm. who were into it. Yeah, there wasn't, there wasn't like a, there wasn't like a big local community, or at least not that I was, I was aware of. Mm-hmm. And I spent a lot of time at that point, I was spending a lot of time in Italy as well. And there were also some, uh, Bitcoin people there. There was a project called Green Wallet, uh, which which was very cool actually at the time. Um, so there was there was an early community, but it wasn't you know it was really like reaching out to find other crazy people. It just took a lot of time to like find other crazies. Cool, interesting. So the exchange, and then it led you, I guess, eventually to Tally to founding Tally, and there was a few projects that you did before that. But before we dive into Tali, because um, today we're, we're going to focus on DAOs, uh, I know this will be the, your nth time 
explaining it. Um, and on previous podcasts, you talk of the concept of DAOs. And obviously, for the for people who are listeners, we have a, a, a wide um, range. So DAOs are decentralized autonomous organizations. Um, you talk a lot about how um, basically they existed pre-crypto, right? So we can argue a DAO is not a crypto thing, but more like a transparent, I would say, governance system getting fine-tuned and more practically implemented through the crypto and digital Web3 economy era with the value of decentralization at its core. Uh, I know you don't like defining DAOs, <laughs> but maybe let's let's try to do it in some shape or form um, and trying to answer what are they, how do they work today in 2022 and why should we care about them going forward? Yeah, I think the definition part, again, is hard to do. Right. Um, but recently, uh, we put on a conference here in New York, um, DAO NYC, mm -hmm. and someone there gave a really kind of interesting take on it. And it went something like a DAO kind of needs at least two out of the three letters. Um, you know, maybe it's decentralized and it's autonomous, but it's not entirely an organization. Or maybe it's like a decentralized and it's an organization, but maybe it's not autonomous. Or maybe it's autonomous uh, and it's an organization, but maybe it's not yet decentralized. Mm -hmm. um, I think the probably useful takeaway right now, the sort of like practical definition of what it is, is it is people who are trying to organize some sort of system to get some sort of thing done and they don't want to use or they choose not to use some other sort of legacy organizational tool, whether it's like the corporation or an LLC or a Facebook group, right? They, they want to have greater ownership over their organization. Um, they want to be part of this, this movement. Generally, they, they want to manage money together in a, in a decentralized way. And the decentralized way of managing money is important because normally if you created an LLC or you created some sort of corporation, um, one person's name would be on the bank account. Maybe the bank account is in the name of the corporation, but mm -hmm. you know, one person at the corporation has the, the permissions by the bank to take the money in and out. Mm -hmm. And that's a very important distinction, right? Because if you create um, a global organization on the internet and a discord chat, for example, and you know, in the Discord chat, you say, you know, for example, myself, say, hey, we have a bank account. You know, everybody send your thousand dollars to this bank address. Well, you're, even though maybe it's a co corporation registered wherever I'm based, you're not really going to feel comfortable about the fact that, you know, you essentially all sent your money to me. Right. Because you don't really have any recourse. Right. Like, you know, a thousand dollars is probably not worth you trying to, like, do some sort of international lawsuit. Um, the bank won't respond to you. So, you know, as a member, you'll have no idea how much money is in there. In that sort of like design, it's very hard to trust people, right? Mm -hmm. It's very hard to build that kind of organization, mm -hmm. right? And it's also very expensive to get the money in, right? You're going to pay some sort of international wire fee, you know, and if I run away with the money, um, there's really nothing you can do. You know, the bank's not going to tell you anything. Right. Uh, you don't have any like real jurisdiction or any sort of like rights to it. But you, with a DAO, you, you gain at least the minimum a kind of transparency, 
right? Everyone can see, oh, this is how much money we have. It's in this smart contract, right? Mm -hmm. Like a big piece of the DAOs today is that you have a smart contract that intermediates this organization, that intermediates the money. Um, and you know that this account is going to behave according to a certain set of rules around the smart contract. Right. And now some DAOs are more or less decentralized than others. Right. And, you know, I'm sort of looking at the folks that are using multi-sigs instead of like token voting. Um, and in those sorts of organizations, the bank account is maybe run by like five people, or, you know, and you, know, you need like three of them to like make an agreement to spend the money. And um, in this case, folks tend to prefer this to a bank account anyway, because now it's at least you know, at least three people have to agree to, to rob you, which is, is, you know, two more than like otherwise. Right. Um, and ideally you can see what's going on. So you, you, you know when you're getting robbed more or less. Um, so that gives people like a different sense of security. Mm -hmm. But then really what you kind of want to get to is ideally this sort of full decentralization where um, any member of the organization at least has some sort of veto say over how the money is spent, right? Where, you know, either it requires a majority of us to agree to give some money to spend the money, uh, or it requires some portion of us to like disagree. You know, there's these optimistic governance solutions where, you know, um, one person can say, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a million dollars out. And then all the voters can be like, well, no, you're not, uh, we disagree and they can stop that. Uh, or you can have a situation where, like, all the voters say, yeah, we want to take a million dollars out, and then they affect the, that change together, right? So at the very least, that as a kind of structure, when we talk about DAOs from the point of view of uh, this, like, decentralized, transparent control over a treasury, over some amount of money, is really a big change from mm -hmm. what's come before, right? Like, before, we always need the state to define the legal status of an organization. Um, we needed centralized entities like banks to manage um, the funds of the organization. Uh, so by disintermediating those two things, um, we really open up an entirely new kind of like category of organization. And an example I like to give pretty often is if you were to create an organization of, you know, 10,000 people, in 30 countries mm -hmm. managing millions of dollars, um, that would be a very large corporation, right? Yeah. Uh, it would be very expensive to legally incorporate in all 30 countries. For sure. uh, it'd be very expensive to manage a bank account that had um, you know, millions of dollars in it. You'd have, you know, some sort of accounting firm, Deloitte or something, you know, <laughs> managing, right. uh, auditing the 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 uh, treasury. Yeah. Um, and this thing would take years to put together, right? It would take years to, to get that paperwork through, be years to organize that. Sure. With DAOs, you can build something that large in a matter of hours, right? Like, mm. and it sounds funny, but I've done it personally mm. where, you know, I've had an idea and I'd say, Hey, this is what we're going to do. And within hours, you have thousands of people around the world and hundreds of thousands, um, you know, one project, you know, had like, you know, Dope Wars had like over a million dollars in just, you know, a couple hours. Right. Um, and collectively, everyone is building something together that's productive um, and they're being paid and they pay one another and they have all these members and, you know, they didn't pay a dime in, in legal fees. Right. Mm -hmm. And they were able to do it in this this really super efficient way. Mm -hmm. So at the, at the bare minimum, 
you know, we're talking about organizations that are fundamentally like internet native corporations, uh, but they scale from the tiniest thing, right? They could be two people, it could be one person, scales from one person to a million people with the same um, base structure to it, right? Um, and that sort of that sort of like efficiency of organization is really unprecedented. And, and that is something that, you know, you know may be lost on some people, but uh, it really is kind of a, a paradigm shift in terms of what's possible now. How much are DAO operations truly decentralized? So on-chain, because we can, we can assume that DAOs mostly use on-chain governance and are financed via sort of tokenization, but how much are they really decentralized. I mean, the communication part is not right. I mean, DAO, it's most of the DAOs are using web two tools like discord and, and stuff like mm. that. Um, that's kind of against the decentralization ethos. Those are sort of some mm. growing pains to go to um, overcome. But what are your thoughts there? Mm. Yeah. I, well, first of all, I think it's important to acknowledge that um, this is a very young space and right. it's very new. So sometimes the decentralization argument is pretty interesting, right? Because someone will say, I am going to build this thing. And then they launch it. You know, it's like 12 noon. They like launch it. And they're like, I've made this, this DAO. And then at like 12.05, someone's just like, that's not decentralized. My mother has never heard of it. <laughs> that's the immediate reaction. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that that's a really disingenuous reaction, sure. right? You know, some of these DAOs have been around for a few years and people are like, ah, they're not really fully decentralized. And you're like, well, what does decentralized mean, right? Does it mean the entire world is into your weird hentai NFT project, mm -hmm. right? Like a lot mm -hmm. of people in the world who are never going to give shit. They'll never vote. They don't want to be a member of your organization, mm -hmm. right? Um, so is it not decentralized because you, you can't get the people who don't care about what you're doing to participate? Mm. Um, and that's an interesting point, right? Like who, who cares about any one particular organization, right? So what does decentralization in that term mean? Some of these DeFi financial protocols, I think Compound is a good example. Compound is pretty frequently dragged by folks who say, well, Compound's not really decentralized. It's, it's mostly run by rich people mm. and a small number of rich people. Mm. Um, and my sort of response to that is, well, yeah, but they're the ones who use it, right? right like, right. you know, poor people with more no money don't actually use Compound, mm. right? Like, you know, this, your, your grandmother or grandfather in Alaska with $5 is not, you know, <laughs> taking out a loan against their $5, like, crypto position to, like, yield right. farm comp rewards, <laughs> right? Yeah. So something I, I frequently sort of ask people is, if only the banks participate and the banks know that they can trustlessly interact with one another, is that not decentralized for the banks, right? Like who, who do these DAOs solve problems for? If Compound is mostly run by rich people, it's also mostly used by rich people. Additionally, those rich people are the ones that kind of provide the energy to that system to operate. So it's not really crazy that they have an outsized voice in, in, in how it actually gets gets run. Mm. Um, they also have the most to lose by bad management, right? So these are people who are actually incentivized to be thoughtful participants and care about what's happening, right? If you have $10 million in something, you know, you show up for a vote. You know, people talk about like, ah, you know, 
most comp holders don't vote. It's just like, well, you know, one guy's got $1 in it and one girl's got like $50 million in it. And people are complaining that a whole bunch of $1 guys don't show up for a vote. Mm. No, well, why should they? Right? Mm. Like, what do they even have to lose? Right? Like, why? Like, in what universe should they spend their precious, like, human life hours researching some sort of weird collateralization safety ratio just for the the ego of like showing up and voting mm. right they've got nothing to lose right M- meanwhile sarah with 10 million dollars in there you know she hires an analyst she thinks about it a lot she wants to make sure she doesn't lose 10 million dollars she shows up she participates in the vote sure. so is that decentralized you know i think it kind of is Sure. Right. Like the, the idea is here is like, can the people who care, in my opinion, can the people who care trustlessly get something done between one another? Right. And if five people care, it's still, in my mind, decentralized between them. Right. Because they want to know that their interactions with one another are governed by a system that they understand how disagreements will be settled. Mm. Right. Ideally, it would be great if 7 billion people, you know, participated in every vote, but it doesn't really make sense because Compound doesn't serve 7 billion people. Now, you have other communities which are much larger, you know, things like Gitcoin or ENS, which, you know, maybe the argument's a little bit different, but it's a little bit different, but it's it's still kind of same in a certain way, right? Not everyone's really cares. A lot of people participate in these things because, you know, there's a kind of overlap on governance power and money, right? Where, you know, if if Jane is really doing a good job running Compound, then Jack with his $5 maybe makes money free, right? It's free money for him. Jane does a great job. Compound gets more depositors. It gets more usage. People are more excited about comp. Maybe more people persist, participate, or at least more people purchase the, the token. Um, and then, you know, John, who hasn't been doing anything, his money goes up. And so he's excited. He's happy to be in it. Uh, that doesn't mean he knows anything about comp and has any real, like, thoughtful mm. opinion, mm. right? Like, a lot of people come up with these schemes to sort of, like, encourage people to vote, like, uh, sort of, like, paying people to vote. That was and one of my questions, yeah. Yeah, you can certainly pay people to vote. And it's kind of interesting, I think, to think about why you'd pay people to vote. Um, some people are building really cool futuristic protocols that the U.S. government gladly put you in jail for the rest of your life for doing, <laughs> right? And for those kinds of organizations, decentralization in numbers is actually really important, mm-hmm. right? If, if you are decentralized and it's five of you um, and you feel good because you can, you know, you can play this game with five other like possibly dangerous people to you. Um, but now you can all play this game together and game theory works out and, you know, you know how the smart contract will intermediate your money. So you feel comfortable in this room, right? Like, you know, everyone can shoot everybody else. So now you can like get something done because, you, you know, everyone's cards are on the table. That's the kind of decentralization that works for you. Great. The U.S. government can just arrest all five people, <laughs> right? Like, that's pretty easy. They'll yeah. just come in and be like, yeah, those five, right? <laughs> like, yeah, it's decentralized for you, but it's not really decentralized in the eyes of like the government. You know, where all five of you live, we'll just go arrest all of you and good. We'll put you all on trial at once. Mm. So for these other protocols um, where, you know, maybe the government has an interest in like finding you and arresting you, there you're really looking for a different kind of decentralization, right? And it's not just like a, hey, the five of us who actually know how this thing works should be the ones who run it. But 
we actually need a lot more people in this room in case the government shows up to arrest us, right? It, it's, it's a lot harder to show up to a room and there's 20,000 people there and, and arrest all of them, right? Um, now, the government could get away with it probably if it tried hard enough, but, you know, <laughs> that's why, you know, some of these protocols, they really want, they want, you know, hundreds of thousands of people in this organization. So the that what you can say is like, hey, it, this is not something that's run by me. You can't arrest me. You know, this is... This is run by all these people. They're all like agreeing. No one actually runs it. It's just the software, man. Chill. <laughs> um, so in those sorts of situations, there's a kind of regulatory arbitrage that's going on, mm. right? Uh, you have right. a right to put a wild idea out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're kind of trying to build these Pandora boxes, mm-hmm. right? Where it's just like, I want to make sure this idea gets out there and the people run it. Right. And sometimes these ideas do run organically, right? There are a lot of DAO ideas out there that people get really excited about. And then you have lots of people participating organically mm-hmm. and others of them, they kind of want to jumpstart that process because, you know, there's kind of two arguments here. One is you can get that decentralization by like paying the 10,000 people to show up in there in that room. Right. Um, so distributing responsibility across all these people which is legitimate. It's a legitimate thing to try and do. Um, the other argument is, is that you're trying to um, get these people to have some sort of stake in this, right? That you have a situation where um, maybe you have these five rich people who run this protocol and they have a lot of money in it. And, you know, you know, Jane has 10 million in it and John has $1 in it. Um, so John never really shows up and John, you know, you never really get more people. So, so nobody's participating. Well, the other thing you can do is you can give them stake in the system, mm. right? So you, you pay them to vote, you give them money or you give them government's tokens. Uh, and now they suddenly have something that they value and they would like to go up and they want to work on. Um, so suddenly the theory goes, they'll participate, mm. right? So suddenly you have people who you know, didn't have any money in this system and surprise, now you got money in the system. And maybe a bunch of those people will be like, well, you know, I didn't, I didn't participate yesterday, but now, now I'm going to participate. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's because I'm going to earn money from it. Uh, so I'll personally benefit or uh, because now I have a reason to care. Mm-hmm. So you can pay people to vote. Sometimes this is very short sighted, right? Sometimes people get paid to vote and they just instantly sell the tokens you give them and they never come back. Right, right, right. But you can design systems that maybe drive a bit more participation. I think it's difficult. It, it, it can generally, I think it looks very short term. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can design systems that people care care about them. How much of that do you see going on? Like just what you mentioned. Well, I think yield farming is a form of that. Mm. Uh, I think yield farming is maybe maybe done for now. Like maybe that's like now that we're in a bear market. Yeah. Maybe that was kind of like the gimmick of the past bull market. To and, clean and maybe, itself out, yeah. Maybe that's not really going to seem so interesting when we when we come back, right? I think certainly, anecdotally, most people just dump their tokens when you give them free free voting, right? Like most um, people, yeah. Mo- yeah, most people just dump their tokens, right? Which is interesting because it remembers like people are like oh they just dump them and it's just like every every sale has a counterpart, right? Mm-hmm. So so it's interesting because somebody's always buying, right? Like people are dumping their tokens, but right. somebody's buying them but too. I, yeah. So it, it's it's maybe a really 
inefficient mechanism for discovering interest, Mm. right? Like maybe there are parties out there who say, hey, you know, I didn't participate in the building of this protocol. Um, I wasn't early enough. Nobody invited me into the seed round. But I I do see the the value of this now that I've learned about it. I do care about it. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to buy out the interest of all these individuals who don't care and don't see the value and don't get it, right? Mm. So it, it can also be a different form of distribution where you don't know who is going to really care, right? So what you do is you sort of flood the market with like, cheap membership and people naturally find like the network sort of finds the the buyer who actually cares. Now, the trouble with that sort of system is some of these buyers are going to care because it's just a profit opportunity, right? And they they know how to like sort of corner demand and then like manipulate the market. Mm-hmm. Um, but other people are genuinely going to say, you know what? Everyone's selling because the bear market. It's the thing that they got tokens for isn't operational yet, but actually I think it's a great idea. And I want to own a lot of this because all these people are selling. They'll be back to like buy back at a higher price. And then they'll, they, they, they scoop it up and then maybe they get really involved, right? Mm. There's certainly a lot of networks out there that do token launches where you're like, well, that's just never going to work. And then sometimes you look at them and you think, oh, that's really fascinating. You know, one project that I think is really fascinating is, and this is not financial advice in any way, uh, <laughs> but gotta say it. Yeah. Uh, but you know, looks looks rare. You know, tried to do this like sort of vampire attack on uh, OpenSea by like paying people looks rare tokens, which accumulate a share of um, the trading fees of mm. NFTs on their platform, and that that brought a lot of wash trading. It brought a lot of people who were just like, you know, trying to mine these these tokens through through um, wash trading, which is bad. But it's still this inefficient mechanism for sort of like priming the, the, the market. Right. And people learn about looks rare. They know about this, this protocol. Um, so even when these things are kind of bad ideas, they they are maybe just less efficient or very inefficient tools of sort of like naturally finding the sort of like participation base of this mm. kind of organization. So yeah, this has been a really long and winding answer, but, but, you know, purchasing votes generally, I don't think works. Um, but you can make an argument that it's better than nothing. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you touched a, you touched a lot of in there. Um, also in terms of um, maybe some interesting DAO use cases. Um, but before I actually, I wanted to ask has, Privacy in online communication been a topic of discussion in the DAO space at all? Just th- th- this topic is just relevant and close to our hearts and our podcast team. Um, just um, uh-huh. recently, I mean, you you met before we jumped on this call. Um, my colleague and, and podcast founder, Tali, he's been developing an on-chain wallet-to-wallet communication platform for over four years now and trying to solve this specific problem also for DAOs. Has that been a topic of discussion at all? Like, do you think that DAO communication will move on chain? Um, Not even even, um, a topic of discussion at this point. So, so first of all, wallet to wallet communication has been around since actually the very beginning of Mm -hmm. blockchain. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, the very first Bitcoin client had a messaging system built into it. It was a bad idea Mm. for a lot of reasons. Okay. Uh, And you don't have it anymore. 
because people recognize that as a bad idea. Now, people are, of course, continuing to build it or actually, I would say, have started building it again because, Mm -hmm. you know, in the sort of same way that, like, these technology things kind of go in waves, um, you know, people lose interest and then people sort of try it again. So there's a lot of people trying it again. You certainly see Etherscan has a kind of like private message feature where, um, you know, you can send messages to kind of broadcast messages that you could prove are yours. That's kind of like a favorite way of like hackers to communicate with like projects who they've robbed um, and try and like negotiate some sort of like settlement. Private communication is very important. I think it'll become more important um, as people sort of start to understand what privacy means. Right. Certainly one of the things happening in the United States right now is, you know, abortion. Um, oh, yeah. Roe versus Wade, a big legislation thing has been overturned, mm-hmm. which I won't get into. But needless to say, that's <laughs> yeah. some crazy shit. I can't believe that. Just, yeah. Crazy, crazy shit. Mm. And one of the things that now is an issue is that women use these period trackers to like track their fertility and track their their um, periods. And now in these states that want to ban abortions, they want to get access to your period tracker information. Oh, Jesus. So they can use that against you um, in case you try and have an abortion. What? Which is really fucked up. And I don't know if you can swear on your podcast, but <laughs> you that can, you can say whatever is actually you want. No, you really can say whatever you want. I don't know. I mean, I've been yeah. outside of the U.S. for actually you. I also left the U.S. in mid 2000s for similar reasons. Maybe, you know, just kind of fed up with the with the U.S. system. But I didn't know this was a thing. Period trackers. Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially if you're tracking your fertility. Right? No, no, no. Like, sure. Yeah. But uh, I, that part. But the, the 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 latter part. I can't believe that. Yeah. Well, you know, and for me, I thought. I think it's a great example of how people are always happy to make fun of privacy by saying, well, if you haven't done anything wrong, you don't have anything to be worried about. You're like, well, yeah, actually you do. Yeah, you do. Right? Like, because your menstrual cycle is, you know, the government's going to use that against you. As private as it Um, gets. (laughs) Right, right. And you wouldn't really think that that was privacy. But you start to think about all those things like sleep trackers, right? All these things that you you, you thought were so useful about mm-hmm. yourself are actually just these enormous honeypots for the government to like impose some sort of like theological law. On yeah. Just to just collect information. Crazy. Crazy. Right. Yeah. Um, so uh, privacy is important and it is critically important for DAOs is a little bit more complicated. DAOs kind of inherently have a little bit of a struggle here. Right. Mm. Constitution Dow was always at a disadvantage for winning the Constitution because it's an open organization and the person they were competing against for the Constitution knew exactly how much money Constitution Dow had and how much they could afford. Oh, okay. So it's very difficult for Constitution Dow to effectively win an auction mm-hmm. when their counterparty knows exactly how much money they have, right? Mm-hmm. So their counterparty only needs to bid $1 more and the DAO can't reach it, right? Mm. So there, there's a number of types of operations that are very hard to do when they're completely transparent, right? You can imagine the difficulty a DAO would have in purchasing property when the seller knows exactly how much money they have, mm. right? And Right? Like suddenly you can't really negotiate a fair deal um, because there's an information asymmetry. So you need privacy there. But that privacy is 
also very difficult because how are you going to both coordinate inside an open organization in public and simultaneously be private, right? So what you end up having is you, you kind of you start to deal with this sort of like cognitive dissonance of private open organizations. Mm. You know, because you can imagine, okay, the DAO maybe is going to empower you and me to to buy some property and we are going to make the decisions of how much we're going to spend for it, right? Mm. Um, and in that sort of situation, right, the, the DAO can't even really say we have a budget, right? Because the, our, our opponents know the upper end of the budget. So in that case, it may be you and me, we got to go form an LLC in secret and then like we got to take the money and then like we have to appear as the LLC and then we buy the property as LLC and they don't know as the DAO. Private DAO to DAO communication is kind of a weird oxymoron, right? Like, it's a public organization on one end. The information goes into a super secret, private, unhackable transmission and comes out on an open organization on the other. Mm. Right. It's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a funny thing where you're like, okay, what's the privacy for? <laughs> right. Like who yeah. cares about I intercepting the, the, the message in flight if you, you can freely read it as it goes in and as it comes out, you know? So I, I, I assume there are use cases, right? Like maybe you have DAO members who want to communicate with one another. And they do that already. Like big DAOs, they have sort of like shadow coalitions that, you know, they meet up in Telegram groups and they go, oh, yeah, let's, let's uh, do this. Or, oh, yeah, let's do that. Um, you know, we'll all vote yes on this, right? And that's normal politics, right? Mm-hmm. Like people complain about that, but... You're not going to get rid of that, right? Like people are like, oh, you know, you have these these um, whales who meet up in these Telegram chats and decide what's going to happen. Yeah, but they could also just meet up in a cafe, right? They could also just be friends. They could also be married, right? They could also just live together in a house and be like, hey, are you voting yes today over breakfast? And the other person's <laughs> like, yeah, I'm voting yes today. Yeah, I think it's a great idea, right? Let's both vote yes and swing the vote. Um, so you're not going to get rid of that. I would I would be interested in what private communication looks like yeah but yeah i'm not i'm I'm neither bearish nor bullish on the idea i'm sort of like neutral uh mostly because for DAOs, especially it it sounds like it's open on both ends of the the network i mean that's a fair argument that you're saying it's an oxymoron in itself um i think for for the use of yeah you're trying to be open transparent but then you're having this private thing i think it's more along the lines of just having it be a response to you know the web2 data being mined and sold and just just for, for that for that purpose right that you know that it's truly private i think it's just I, not you know the product i i think there's a argument to be said of like we don't want to use web2 products right mm. i think it's fair to say hey we only want farm raised organic crypto web three technology. And we're, we're not interested in using your like antibiotic filled, you know, I love that <laughs> raised in a box web two technology. That's fine. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. it can be a philosophical choice. This community of people, they don't want to use your thing because they mm. just don't like you and they don't like what you believe in. Mm. Right. Like, you know, I think a lot of DAOs do not use parlor or these like alt right neo Nazi chat group tools 
um, because that's not their thing, right? They're like, no, nah, we don't want to be associated with it. We could definitely communicate over it. It's private. That's not our thing. We're not going to support that. We're not going to use it. Mm. I think it's difficult for them to really make the case that it's a solid technological argument, right? Yeah, maybe they don't want their chat saved into the Facebook database, but truly there are, you know, um, negative organizations that will just scrape all of our communications for DAOs anyway, right? Mm. And they don't even have to be negative, right? There are positive organizations out there that just have members in, and there's a big company, they're a great company um, in the space. And what they do is they actually just hire hundreds of analysts to just hang out in everyone's discord and take a note about everything they talk about mm. so that they can produce detailed sort of like opinions on what's going on in these communities and summarize them for their, their um, uh, sort of like uh, customers, right? Their customers pay them to give them a synopsis of what's happening in DAOs across the space, right? Mm -hmm. So they actually just hire hundreds of people to go join those discord communities, go participate just for the sake of like, summarizing everything that's talked about now that's fine you know that's journalism right that's that's reporting that's trade industry um but you know you can certainly imagine that you know someone could build a business about being kind of malicious and just sort of like going into all these discords and just like recording everything that gets talked about um recording all the, the chats all the the community calls um for negative purposes or just to archive it right mm -hmm. like you could certainly imagine the government does that right mm -hmm. like it would be kind of silly for them you know if they're trying to arrest all twenty thousand people for them not to be like building a case by recording everyone's chat message mm -hmm. uh so again the question is like do they need to go get a warrant from facebook to get the chat transcripts or because they're op open organizations, do they just go join and just sit in the crowd? Mm. Right. So yeah, just pri I don't, I'm not, I, I yet to yeah, understand yeah. how privacy really helps you out there. Mm -hmm. um, if the door is open, you know, if you'll tell anyone the, the secret code, you know, Oh, I have a secret code, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's, it's important to talk about it. I mean, why not? Um, sure. But, um, yeah, you, you mentioned, you talked about the LLC factor before, um, which mm -hmm. kind of brings me to a few questions about Dow legal implications. Um, mm -hmm. I did, I listened to a few podcasts where you, you kind of touch upon that, but not, you didn't really get into it, mm -hmm. but, and just, just as a basic question, how can a Dow become legally compliant? Sure. So it's, it's a hard one to answer. Yeah. For a number of reasons. Because there's a lot of different kinds of DAOs and there's a lot of different kinds of like right. legal jurisdictions. Right. Um, at the base, what you do is you go create an LLC. Mm -hmm. And this then is the, the operating agreement yeah. of the LLC says this LLC is going to do whatever this organization votes to do. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, at the base, you can do that. Now, there's a lot of things that get complex in here because you know, maybe there's more than one person on this LLC and then you have to decide how they join. It's, it's very difficult slash impossible to say, I have a corporate entity and anybody who holds this token is a member of it, right? Mm -hmm. Because you don't know who's holding the token. It's a little bit difficult to like say that this corporate structure actually protects them or that they represent this corporate structure because you don't know who they are. And they can obtain this token without really having any idea of what that token means. Right. Like generally, you kind of have to say, okay, if you do X, that means X, Y, and Z. 
you know, but if they go purchase it off like pickle swap, you kind of make a good argument that they can, they haven't really been bound by any terms, right? Like they don't, they don't know. Mm. Um, so you can form many versions of this, right? And what we see happening is like, you'll have a big DAO and there'll be people in the DAO who are kind of like worried about just being like exposed. So what they do is they form an LLC and then um, they say, Hey, we are going to do our actions in this DAO at, via this LLC. Right. And that that's fine. Mm-hmm. Right. And maybe that's some legal protection. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I mean, there's a lot of like big question marks, like maybe just some legal protection, right? If the Dow goes and like kills someone or like sponsors terrorism, um, <laughs> it doesn't really matter what you've done, right? Like the government will get you anyway. But it becomes very a practical matter for Dows that like want to do something in the real world, right? And this can be like, I want to buy a building as a Dow. Well, you're going to actually need some sort of like state recognized legal organization to do that Mm -hmm. right and in places like wyoming there's a dow law so you can have a dow that has like a legal basis but you still end up having some like real world things like a real person who has a driver's license is needs to show up and accept mail and Mm -hmm. pay the taxes and uh, be responsible right so you're like okay well not really a complete solution but you're gonna kind of have to do that A lot of people are like, well, we don't really need that. And I always sort of push back and be like, well, you know, you might just throw a party, right? And somebody trips and falls and they want to sue someone for tripping and falling, right? Um, You're going to need something that kind of gives you a little bit of legal protection around that. Because otherwise, you know, otherwise DAOs look like unincorporated general partnerships, in which case maybe the government can't arrest all 20,000 of you, but they can find you, Nina, your name is attached to the DAO. So they'll just hold you liable, right? Because in unincorporated general partnerships, everybody has unlimited liability for the actions of everybody else, right? So that becomes a weird, tricky, dangerous situation because maybe the government isn't going to come after you, right? Like if you aren't doing something that seems egregiously bad, maybe the government doesn't care, right? Like if you are doing some DAO around, I don't know, carbon credits, community, something or other. Eh, maybe, you know, the government has limited time, limited resources. They're not going to go after you. You clearly weren't trying, aren't trying to do something really evil. You're working hard. It's not working out. Maybe, you know, it's, it wasn't a great idea. Mm-hmm. It's not, doesn't seem so criminal. But if your carbon credit has a party and somebody trips and falls, well, maybe that person's lawyer is looking for somebody to go Right. And for them, they're always looking for someone to go after. It doesn't really matter. Right. They're looking for someone to go after and they see you. It doesn't matter. They carbon credits is a good idea and you like eat organic and you believe in good things and all that jazz. Um, they're looking for somebody to hold responsible for and get money out of. Right. And in that case, um, having an LLC organization is very important because they're going to go after somebody, right? So in those cases, DAOs, and again, this is very Amer- American-centric I was just, view. Yeah, I was just going to say, I've been outside the U.S. too long to think, to think that there's already, sorry to cut you off, but the, the automatic lawyer <laughs> have to be uh, backed by something. Yeah, it's very U.S.-centric, but but no. It it's is, a, it is. It's, a, it's, well, it's fair, I mean. It, it's, it's U.S.-centric, you know, in the trip and fall example. Yeah. Um, but this also exists also for um, the case for money anywhere, right? right? Like you have right. a financial protocol and, right. you know, there's that like, there's like a great moral ethical question thing where they, uh, you know, there's like a, there's a train track, right? And there's a train, out of control train running down a train track. And if it goes straight, it'll like run over and kill like 10 people. But if you pull the lever, 
and it goes to the right to a different track. It'll run over and kill only one person. Mm-hmm. And now like you have to make the decision, are you going to kill uh, one person or are you going to kill nine people? Right. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the argument generally is that it's, it's much better to, you know, the trick, the switch and like have one person killed uh, rather than, you know, these nine people killed, but you know, and so let's say, you know, in a financial protocol, right. Maybe the argument is like, you know, if we let this system run the way it's running, 99.9% or 99 out of our hundred members are going to lose all their money. But if we switch the switch over here, only one person in this community loses all their money, right? Uh, well, that one person is going to be pissed, right? And they, they even, you know, in Europe and other places that aren't as litigious as America are going to sue because you did take an action that caused them to lose all their money. Now, it doesn't really matter that maybe that's in the benefit of the larger organization. You still took an action that caused them to lose their money, and they can hold you responsible for that, mm. right? And in, in a court, and now I'm not a lawyer and this is not legal, legal advice, in a court, you may have trouble, you know, if the argument is scoped really narrowly to did your action or did your action not cause this person to lose all of their money, the, the fact that maybe it was necessary for the safety or the health of the entire thing might be irrelevant in the context of that specific case or discussion, right? The case may be like, did you take an action that caused this person to lose all this money? And the answer there may be, yes, you did. And you may then be held responsible for that loss. So the, you know, it really depends a lot on what your, your organization is doing. Mm-hmm. But if there is someone aggrieved enough, right? Like generally we're not really worried about the state unless you're doing something wrong, right? Cool. Okay. I think we've um, sort of covered that part. Let's um, let's talk about Tally. Uh, we haven't gotten to Tally yet. So we're talking about an sort of all-in-one platform that builds governance infrastructure for DAOs, essentially an on-chain governance tool. Right. So am I saying this correctly? Sort of tally is the go to place to start a decentralized community and using tools to vote, propose within and et cetera, et cetera. Um, Can you Mm -hmm. take us through tally and also where it is today in terms of the tools it provides? Mm hmm. Yeah. So uh, we like to talk about tally as being a place where you can like start, um, join and grow Mm -hmm. decentralized organization. Mm -hmm. We are the, the front end for a lot of the large DAOs. You know, Gitcoin, ENS, Compound, Uniswap, right. um, many more. And we believe uh, right now we, we focus on on-chain governance. We'll, we'll expand to um, off-chain communities in the near future. Mm. Uh, but this is a real place where you would go to create an organization and grow it, right? DAO start as an idea, mm-hmm. right? I want to buy ice cream, ice mm-hmm. cream DAO, right? Mm-hmm. Today is just me. You can come to Tally, you can start Ice Cream DAO, and now you have kind of like a seed that can grow. And you can use Tally to, to um, as more people join, do delegations, allow people to see where the other members of Ice Cream DAO, um, get more involved in Ice Cream DAO. Then you can raise some money uh, that goes into your uh, on-chain governance, and you can see that on Tally, and then you can vote on how to spend it, um, and then your community can grow. So Tally is really a tool that allows you to like manage and run an organization because organizations are really opaque for, for very hard to understand what's going on. DAO tooling is very new. It's very mature. Um, so there's a lot of like needs that people have and Tally really addresses 
addresses those, right? Um, now, we support kind of specific kinds of DAOs today, but uh, we're growing as well. So we, we start to exp- support more. Um, but it's things like NFT DAOs. You know, you can work on Dope Wars, Nouns DAO, uh, Pride Punks, DAOs. You know, some some of these DAOs, I, I actually created Dope Wars and Pride Punks. Right. Dope Wars is a real success. It's a, yeah. it's a real big, big community of people who are just like doing all sorts of amazing stuff. Yeah, that's it's really amazing. It's really wild. How it took off. Um, yeah. yeah, really took off. Really took mm. off. You can participate in Nouns DAO and Lil Nouns DAO. Um, and these organizations have other governance tools, uh, but a lot of people like to interact with them through Tally. So those are like NFT DAOs. Um, you can participate in regular ERC twenty style DAOs like mm-hmm. Gitcoin and ENS, where you know this is an example of you know there are some small DAOs on Tally, um, niche communities. There's uh, a DAO called Femboy DAO, um, which is very interesting. It uh, I had to look up what Femboy means. I was just going to ask. Leave it. Yeah, I was going. I'll leave it to the viewer to <laughs> to do the googling on that. Um, but they have a community and they have a whole bunch of money and they manage it together um on tally which is you know wild and that's cool you know we we don't take opinions as to like what people kind of want to organize around Mm -hmm. but it's a small community and then some communities are enormous right like uh, gitcoin or uniswap Mm -hmm. um they have enormous communities and Mm -hmm. and their votes have uh, enormous turnouts um faye Rary uh, are on Tally, and they they have really contentious and frequent votes um so people use tally to do a lot of things um, regarding Tally's voting framework, how does it compare with Snapshot, for example? And for, for, for listeners who are not familiar, Snapshot is a decentralized voting system that allows users to create proposals and vote off-chain. How, does, how, do, how would you, I mean, does anyone ask you this or could you, sure. could you even sure. compare it? Sure. Yeah. So first of all, I'll have to correct you there. Um, okay. Snapshot is awesome, but it's not decentralized. All of Snapshot happens on their server. Right. Um, they if go. they were to turn off your their server, everything is gone. Mm-hmm. Um, if they were to alter their server, um, they could alter the outcome of your vote and you would never know it. Okay. Right. Um, so Snapshot is not a decentralized mm-hmm. tool. Snapshot is trying to build a decentralized service, okay. but up to today is not decentralized. Mm. So there isn't an enormous difference between running a vote today on Snapshot and running a vote on Facebook groups, right? Mm. It just depends on do you trust Snapshot more than you trust Mark Zuckerberg. Now, personally, I would definitely trust Snapshot more than uh, Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> but the point here is that it's not decentralization. Okay, uh, It's also not decentralized because when you vote on Snapshot, it is a kind of poll, right? So let's say uh, we make a vote on Snapshot, which is we're going to sell Nina's house to Denison. Mm. And everybody votes yes. Nina is going to sell her house to Denison. Now what? Do you want to sell your house to me? No. Okay. Is there any way I can force you to sell your house to me? No. <laughs> no. Right? So what happens, and this happens a lot mm. with Snapshot, and, and this is actually really unfortunate because a lot of people have this misunderstanding that they think it's a decentralized tool. Mm. And it has allowed a lot of malicious participants in the ecosystem to hide behind the word DAO when really the organization is no such thing, Mm. right? Many of the big financial, not many, but there's a couple big financial protocols that are very famous and very community oriented that use Snapshot, but have a track record of just simply ignoring the voters, 
right? Mm. Um, yes, you vote on snapshot. It says we should pay um, the the CEO a uh, hundred thousand instead of a million. CEO is the one who's all, who who implements it. Just ignores it, right? And the community votes again and says, "Hey, we vote that all the snapshot proposals should be implemented." Mm. Team ignores it again, right? So what this is is it is uh, uh, it's deception and it is a kind of manipulation, right? There's a famous quote from Henry Ford, which is, "The Model T comes in any color you want as long as it's black," <laughs> and off-chain polling solutions are exactly that. Wow. Yeah. Right? That's a good way. You can vote for anything you want mm-hmm. as long as it's what we want you to vote for. Mm-hmm. And if it's not, we're just not going to respond to your message. That's it. We're not going to do anything. Right? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of DAOs who use that because, oh, it's free to vote. Of course it's free to vote. Right? Like writing your name down on a piece of paper is entirely free. Right? Mm-hmm. Like saying yes in a Discord chat is entirely free. Um, it's, that's why it's free. Right. So people use it because it's free, but it's not decentralized, which is very interesting because a lot of people don't actually care about the decentralization until, of course, hmm. the people who run these projects take all your money. Right. right. Which we've seen over and over right. and over again. Right. right? Um, so you have these big projects in the space. I think like Wonderland Finance is a great example where like finally Daniele had this famous uh, discord message where he says enough. Uh, I'm going to run the Dow now. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, got it. And people started making the joke saying like DAO stands for Daniele, uh, autocratic. Autocratic, uh, yeah. Centralized. So, you know, there are some tools that try and bridge, quote unquote, trustlessly the outcome of um, a snapshot proposal to on chain. Mm -hmm. Um, Tools like reality.eth. We have also, this is also kind of a feint. Because reality.eth uses this sort of like challenge system to enforce a vote. And actually, someone recently did this in practice to demonstrate the sort of vulnerability here. Uh, we've talked about this vulnerability for a long time. We haven't done it in practice because tally would be viewed very negatively if we like, you know, did something specifically to point this out. So we try and tell people. But the way that the, the challenge methods exist to bridge off-chain decisions on change is a kind of game theory, mm-hmm. right? The idea here is if you are right, you should be able to raise more money to prove that you're right, right? Mm. So if the decision says, um, okay, uh, we are going to do X, and I put up a bond of $100 that says X is correct, somebody else can put up a bond of $200 saying Y is correct, right? Now I have to put up a bond of $400 to say X is correct. And that concept here is, is that because the majority of us know that X is correct, that's kind of like a shelling point for which side of this argument we're going to be on. Because if we're right, we get to take the other side's money, right? So there's a profit motivation for us to keep them piling in on the right answer because we get the other side's stake, right? Because mm-hmm. the other side loses. If you put up money for a bad answer and we can prove that you're wrong and by prove we can i.e. we get more money on the other side, we'll get your money. So now there's a profit opportunity. So now there's like this game theory thing, um, which should ideally result in only right answers um, getting uh, transmitted because we can assume that the right answer will always be a greater shelling point for capital because it's it's obvious. Mm-hmm. Problem with this is twofold, attention and planning, right? This, this game only happens for so long. So if nobody's paying attention, Right. If nobody's paying attention, then there's nobody to put up the money on the other side. Right. Mm -hmm. So you say X is a hundred dollars. Great. But what if I just show up and say like, Ooh, let's do Y. 
here's $200 and nobody notices. So nobody shows up to put up $400, right? Well, then why goes through? Mm -hmm. Now you can go even more malicious and you can say, let's say you have a protocol worth a hundred million dollars, a hundred billion dollars. Let's say, right? Mm -hmm. That doesn't matter. A hundred million, then zeros are irrelevant, right? A hundred million dollars. Uh, but the billion dollars is more fun. So let's do that. A hundred billion dollars. <laughs> if a malicious decision will destroy 90% of the value of that organization, right? So a malicious decision goes through. Mm -hmm. and now the protocol worth $100 billion is reduced to being worth only $10 billion, mm -hmm. right? Could you raise $9 billion to capture $1 billion, right? And what I mean by that is you can have a bad decision and you can immediately go and you can say, here is $9 billion on this bad decision. Right. And let's say you time it well, too. So let's say that you you do this Christmas morning. Right. So Christmas morning, you show up and you say, ah, bad decision, nine billion dollars. Now, to stop this bad decision from going through, you know, on Christmas morning, the good guys out of nowhere, surprise, surprise, have to come up with 18 billion dollars. Mm. Right. <laughs> and you can imagine that that could be hard to do. Even though you're right, it could be hard to raise $18 billion unexpectedly in poor timing, especially if there's some sort of like, you know, accompanying like fear, uncertainty and doubt in the Discord group and in the Telegram, people not sure what's going on, right? So you can coordinate something like that. And then it becomes not very difficult to, to capture organizations with these sort of like trust games, right? So the reason why we have been so strong on um, on-chain governance, and in particular, uh, OpenZeppelin Governor, which was originally created by Compound, mm -hmm. um, but now standardized in the OpenZeppelin library, is, is that you don't have to worry about those games. Mm -hmm. The decision is the people voted, their decision is final. You don't have to ask the CEO to implement it. You don't have to ask Nina to sell her house, right? And ask Nina nicely, right? The smart contract, is the ultimate authority over the funds, over the protocol, over the decision-making, and the voters are the ultimate authority over how that, that smart contract operates, right. right? So in that case, what we have is we have an organization that's actually decentralized and autonomous, right? Where every participant knows what's going to happen. If they vote for a red car, they get a red car. Doesn't matter the team only believes in black cars, right? Now, of course, the vote has to be something that smart contracts actually interact with, right? But that is a very different kind of organization, right? And there's a good reason why organizations use tools like Snapshot or other pool, polling tools to get an opinion, right? They want to know how people think and feel about things. Mm -hmm. um, but then they execute that decision on chain, mm -hmm. right? Because otherwise, it's not really decentralized. It's not really autonomous, right? It's right. a it's a, you know, any color you want as long as it's black. Right. You've alluded to a lot of um, use cases or names um, and throughout this conversation. But in your opinion, which DAO would you consider or DAOs to be most successful and why? Hmm. I think it's too early to, to make that claim. Okay. They didn't all start at the same time. True. They, they don't all have the same level of difficulty in their challenge. True. Right. Maybe the ones that have been around for for longer, or what you, that you maybe well, keep going. Do you, or do you have one that you go back to that you think about? 
Uh, yeah, I think compound has been successful. I think mm-hmm. there are some people who maybe feel a little frustrated with it today, mm-hmm. um, but it has been successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, something I think about DAOs is that they don't have to last forever. They certainly could. Mm-hmm. Um, something in that efficiency that I spoke about at the beginning of the program where like you could create an organization in a couple hours. Right. The organization may only last a couple hours, mm-hmm. right? Imagine building a corporation in 30 countries with 10,000 people, millions of dollars that lasts for two days. <laughs> Impossible. To yeah. Do, right. But yeah. when DAOs, you could do it after two days, y'all, you, you know, you, you, you bought whatever you wanted to buy. Didn't work out. Constitution mm-hmm. DAO disbanded. Everyone goes home. <laughs> yeah. Constitution. DAO. Right? Keep coming back to that one. Right. But, but why not? Right. Mm -hmm. Like LLCs don't exist forever. Corporations don't exist forever. Right. So I think sometimes people have a strange idea in their head that these should be eternal organizations, which doesn't really in my mind make sense. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you made a lemonade stand to sell lemonade on a Thursday. That's it. Mm -hmm. Right. Like you didn't actually want to live for lemonade for the rest of your life. You know, organizations may, may try and do one thing and they go away. Um, The cool thing about on-chain organizations is that maybe they do something, they go away, but really the the smart contracts, they're just waiting for some day in the future where somebody cares again. You know, it almost becomes these like ancient magic spells, you know, in these like (laughs) superhero movies, they always find some like ancient tomb, right? And somehow the magic is still alive and like it's still (laughs) just waiting for someone to come in and like pick up the the magic goblet or something, right? Smart contracts are kind of like that, right? So these DAOs... They, the, the autonomous part is they don't need us to be there every day doing something, but when we need them, they'll be there for mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and that's pretty, pretty magical. I think, oh, I, I think there's a lot of DAOs doing um, really ambitious ideas, mm-hmm. right? There's DAOs trying to affect climate change. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, real people in the real world with a lot of money have trouble making impact on climate change, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but maybe the the effect of these DAOs is, you know, there's this that sort of phrase, it's the friends we make along the way. Right. 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 Maybe a lot of these DAOs, it's not relevant if they actually ever achieve what they're doing. Uh, maybe the greater purpose is that they actually onboard and folks to Web3. Mm. You know, th- there's this organization, Seraph, uh, they're an LGBTQ plus uh, organization, an NFT DAO. They they were at DAO NYC and they're they're talking to us about their their launch. And something like sixty percent of Seraph members didn't have a wallet hmm. when they wow. went to mint the NFT. So Seraph had to like tell them about crypto, tell them about a wallet, show them how to get the money, the go to sign up on Coinbase, get it in there, so they could like purchase a membership to Seraph. Right? Interesting. So Seraph is doing two things, right? It's, it's trying to, to tackle its core goals and mission statement. But really, it's also onboarding people to Web3. So if Seraph doesn't work, and I hope it does, mm-hmm. um, but if it doesn't work, it will still have accomplished some other goal, right? So it, it's very difficult for me to, you know, people want to say, what is the most successful DAO? Right, and right. it's kind of like saying, what is the the most wonderful company, right? Mm. Like maybe Apple's the richest company, but you know, there's this, this, this company on uh, King Arthur flower here <laughs> in the United States, very oh. famous flower. Um, they have like uh, the crest of King Arthur on it. Um, and King Arthur's flower is a benefit corporation. Mm. So it is actually owned by all the people who work there. Right. So um, King Arthur does not have nearly as much money as Apple, right? Like, they just make flour, right? But what it does have is every single person who works at King Arthur 
owns King Arthur. And together, they make flour. And to make more money, they come up with new recipes and they try and show people how to bake more bread and bake more pies. And if you're going to say which company is more wonderful, maybe it's King Arthur, right? Mm -hmm. Like a lot of people wake up in the morning, they eat bread that came from flour from, from King Arthur flour, and it's delicious. They <laughs> feed their babies with baked goods that came from King Arthur flour. These people live lives making flour so people can bake goods, right? Like maybe in the great scheme of things like that is a more wonderful company, right? So it's very difficult, I think, to answer the question of like, what is the best DAO? Because what is what is best, right? Like no, Uniswap has the most money, true, true. but maybe the decisions, right? Yeah. Like, very hard to say. It's just it's just more of a yeah no I mean it's very much a, a relative um, concept. It's just more of like do's and don'ts, right? Um, or successful. What has gone wrong? What has not gone wrong? Um, well, I yes, mean, sure. I, I think Wonderland Finance is a great example. Which one? Don't be a fake doubt. Wonderland Finance. Oh, Wonderland Finance. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, don't be a fake doubt. Don't lie to people. <laughs> That's oh, a pretty obvious one. Yeah. It's just me now running the doubt. Right. That's not doubt. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> right. Don't do that. Yeah. Right. If if you're going to use some off-chain voting mechanism, right, tell people honestly, if you if you vote for something we don't agree with, we're not going to do it. Mm. Right. Don't don't sort of like just wait for every vote to pass and go, whew, they agreed with us again. Good mm. thing we didn't have to rug them. Mm. You know, like, <laughs> you know, don't 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 sit around being like, well, if we if we disagree, we'll just rug them. Mm. You know? Yeah. You yeah. shouldn't lie to people. These these DAOs should be honest, right? right? Like if, if you can't be fully decentralized, you say that you can't be fully decentralized, right? right. If, it, if, if it's risky, not audited, not proven, you know, say that. Right. I do think that now there are some problems growing with contributors in, in DAOs. That's not something that we really touched on. No, um, I, I wanted to actually ask you because I did hear, it was one of a more recent podcasts, you did say that you spent some time thinking about that one in terms of yes. malicious it, or yeah, non-trustworthy contributors that are there for the wrong yeah, reasons. Not, it's interesting. We build smart contracts with the assumption that they exist in an antagonistic, dangerous space yeah. where everyone should be assumed to be malicious. Guilty. Um, yeah. And then the Discord group that we build on top of that, we kind of assume the opposite because mm -hmm. we're polite. We want we sort of assume that all the members are really great, wonderful people, which is a little bit nonsensical because those are the same people who would be doing terrible things with our smart contracts, right? The smart contracts don't have autonomy. Um, and I think communities have to keep in mind that not all of their their members are there for the right reasons. Yeah. Right. Um, there are plenty of people in the world who are malicious. There's plenty of people in the world who love doing mean things or trying to capture DAOs or steal money. Uh, we see a lot of these horror stories of hacks are very long con uh, type of scams where people just work on a community for a long time. Yeah. They contribute, they help out, they participate with like an end goal of rugging everybody or robbing them. Um, and this is a problem. Other thing we have is in the earlier days of crypto, and this is just sort of like depends, right? Like one of the things that has been wonderful about Ethereum is, is that Vitalik made a lot of effort to make sure that everyone felt welcome in mm -hmm. the community. Mm -hmm. uh, and the community has gotten a lot bigger than just Vitalik. The community is so large, a lot of people don't know who even he is. 
Yeah, I, I, right. I can't believe that, but yeah. <laughs> right, but but you know, there was a great tweet some time ago where someone was talking about Vitalik and someone responded like, who the fuck is Who's Vitalik, that? right? What are you talking about? <laughs> um, I wish I could source that because it was so funny, but you know, I'm sure we could find it. So what happens is now people, you know, when you have some sort of protocol and you just give people money, Right. And you just say, hey, if you if you ever use this service, you just get money. Mm -hmm. You can attract the attention of people who who would never have shown up because they liked your community or you liked your idea. Right. They only showed up because somehow now they had money and maybe there's some opportunity. And you have you have communities that deal with negative energy individuals. Um, and you have now. Uh, situations where people deal with harassment. I've dealt with this myself in DAOs. Really? Um, and now in some of the larger larger DAOs, I'm not going to name folks, um, people actually go through the effort to like harass these people in person. They'll go to conferences just to find them and harass them in real life. Wow. And this wow. is very bad. That's crap. Very bad, right? Has that happened um, to you? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Oh my God. It's really ridiculous. You know, people, people on the internet have a weird sense of entitlement. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the never ending right? problem. Yeah. And that, um, for a lot of DAOs can be very difficult, right? Because you have DAOs where people are like, why haven't you made me rich yet? <laughs> and people are like, well, we're working on some sort of cool idea. And people are like, fuck the idea, pump my bags. Yeah. When Lambo. Um, yeah, yeah. Right. Right. And, and that is unfortunately like, that's one of the reasons where a lot of like sort of older folks are really excited about the bear market because yeah. all these people that like showed up just for money yeah. and Lambos go home for a while. Like exactly. this is something we know about bear markets, right? Like at the top of the bull, everyone's like one Lando or bottle service in the club, right. blah, 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 blah. And then token price goes down and they go back to doing what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And we can go back to like building things and thinking right. thoughtfully right. about problems. But communities do have to deal with that. And that is really hard. And that is something that we need to figure out a better way of dealing with. Um, maybe that is where private, privacy messaging comes in. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But open communities that have no enforcement mechanism against other community members can be very fragile when it comes to the experience of the, the members and the community health, you know, I put out a, a medium post a while ago now about like the invisible work of community, how builders leave projects, not because they they're done with it because they're just tired of the, the abuse, right? Like you see in projects where people build things, you know, I know, um, you know, for example, dope wars went through this for a little while mm -hmm. where people are like, I have an idea. Why aren't the devs building this? Mm. And it's like, well, there are no devs. Everybody here is just like here because they're excited about it and they want to build things together and everyone's building the thing that they like. People are like, well, I'm not a dev and they should go build this. And it's just like, well, that's not how this community works. Mm -hmm. um, but you actually spend a lot of time. There's this great tweet about, um, I, I love using this image over and over. It's called the soft futter. Right, FUD is fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and like people get accused for spreading fear, uncertainty, and doubt when they say, "Oh my God," uh, you know, they make up some sort of lie as to why the token price is going to go down, and people call them fudders. Oh, the fun but of Telegram this, groups, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's a cool, there's a funny idea called the soft fudder, which are people who say, "Uh, not to fud, but," uh -huh, and right. they say something that's very, very difficult, and they're like, you know, they're like. Just asking questions, just curious, right? The um, but people one. can actually harass the community by just asking sort of vaguely antagonistic, weird mm. 
questions over and over and over and over again, mm. right? There's a lot of ways to derail um, positive communities because po- there's a lot of members, like positive people generally don't really like to spend their energy on non-positive people. Right. So you have communities that suffer where the people who are really into it leave because they actually have other things they can do with their life and they're not interested in just just losing their time with like negative individuals, right? Um, so that's a big failure mode for DAOs and communities. And that's where we need a lot of tooling, personally, in my opinion, um, so that you don't have to like have other humans bear the brunt of negative people, right? In, in the Pride Punk DAO, you know, we deal with, with people who come in just to like be racist or homophobic remarks. Mm-hmm. Maybe they think it's funny because wherever they live, they're just going to like show up in your community and just like do this. And members of the community have to like go through reading this stuff. Right. And a lot of them try to be polite and they have to go through debating people about like other people's rights to exist or what the purpose of the community is. And that extracts a lot of enthusiasm from, from individuals, Mm -hmm. uh, which long-term is net negative for communities because you're not interested in purchasing a community where like, you know, most of your time is spent, you know, just being a lightning rod for like people who really don't care that they are negative. No, it's uh, completely counterproductive. Yeah. Completely counterproductive. Mm. Right. So um, yeah, that is, is, is uh, something that communities really have to work on. And unfortunately we don't have great tools for that. Right. And you know, there's a joke I make pretty frequently is, you know, most of the time we build DAOs using tools called discord and discord literally means you know, um, people not getting along, people disagreeing, people being unhappy, people arguing with one another. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, you know, a discordant community is not a successful community. Um, so it's like very ironic that, you know, we use uh, a tool that. that is actually named after that. And you kind of wonder if that's actually the business model, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've seen that in, in terms of not just in DAOs, I mean, just in general. Um, th- so the, the role of even community managers, it's... Um, it can get pretty stressful, right? Um, in terms of how to deal with negativity and, like you said, the soft futters, et cetera, et cetera. While I'll try to wrap this up, does the current crypto winter affect your dowing in tally, would you say? Mm, or from the previous? No. Time? No. Not particularly. Hopefully, it gets easier to build and in a more you know? clean, positive way more clean less noise mm-hmm. way right um i think crypto whipper winter is going to be good for us yeah. i'm really looking forward to just being able to like focus and ignore um like people who who maybe just aren't interested in the sort of like um more productive aspects of crypto but yeah for, for us it doesn't really change anything you know i've been here 10 years plus now yeah. um <laughs> yeah sort of immune know. to everything yeah, it's just like part of the part of the ride. You go up a bit, you go down a bit, right. you go up a bit, you go down a bit, you know. Yeah. That's how it is. And but through this time, I, th- I think it's important just to have the, the the discourse and the conversations to 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 go forward. I actually I actually came across your Dow Talk podcast. I um I came you have a few episodes on I think I I came across it on Spotify. Started in yeah. May, right? Um yep. so I see that you are embracing the education aspect. I think it's very cool. What would you what would you like to see go forward uh, in the DAO space besides the malicious bad actor trying to figure out tools for that? 
I would like to see more real world application of DAOs. Mm-hmm. LLCs are very heavy, even mm-hmm. though they're lightweight. Uh, I would like to see more local DAOs. Mm-hmm. You know, people are like, oh, well, this DAO, you know, it's really amazing that this DAO can service the people in, you know, around the world. But wouldn't it be cool if it just serviced like people in your neighborhood? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I would like to see more DAOs, really. Mm-hmm more DAOs is like what I want to see. I want to people see people building DAOs instead of NGOs, building DAOs instead of nonprofits. So yeah, I, I want to see more DAOs. Just, just in terms of the LLC component, just a quick question. Are, are most, do you see that most DAO contributors or would you say even workers at this point for some DAOs? Um, are they more or less, this is for the U S probably that you can speak to. Um, are they more or less self-employed? I mean, can, can we assume that there's just some sort of subcontractors and not employees at this point? I don't know. That's kind of hard to, okay. I don't know if I could really, you can't answer that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really know. Are there Denison? This has been a very cool talk, um, sort of covering different aspects while you have the New York <laughs> sirens going in the background. It's kind of like yeah. the, the sign, um, to maybe end it, but, um, is there anything that um, I haven't asked you that maybe you wanted to to conclude with? Mm, no, not particularly. You've kind of covered. Do a great job. It's pretty thorough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned Dow Talk. Uh, it's a weekly podcast on Spotify. Yep. I'm sure you will link to it in this episode so people can go check that out. I was just going to say, uh, definitely. We'll be in the show notes. Yeah. Um, yeah, we have our website tally.xyz where you can right. go and check out all the DAOs on Tally, where you can create uh, your own DAO, um, add your DAO to Tally. Uh, you know, we have our Twitter, which is pretty cool. We just wrapped up DAO NYC, which is probably one of the coolest DAO conferences that has occurred in New York City. Yeah. Um, Are there it any was valuable, a really success? Yeah. Were there yeah. valuable takeaways from that? You can maybe share with us. Uh, yeah, a lot of people are building DAOs. Okay, in particular, in New York City, <laughs> DAO NYC. Um, an enormous number of people are building DAOs. People are really excited about DAOs, and DAOs are actually big enough to support having their own specific conference. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really well attended, really fantastic event. Uh, so yeah, that's. I think that's uh, you know, just love people to like connect with us and follow us, and uh, yeah, make DAOs. That's awesome. Uh, Dennison, thank you so much. Uh, I know you're a little under the weather, so I'll let you go so you can uh, recuperate after thank you. after this long conversation. Um, so with that in mind, uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll borrow one of your quotes again um, to, to sort of end our talk here. So start, join, and grow decentralized organizations, right? Find a DAO, add a DAO, just DAO. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Dennison, thanks so much. All right, thank you. Thanks again to our guest, as well as thank you everyone for listening. Thank you also to the Badia Music team for providing their music. You can check out their latest album on badiamusic.com. You can find all supporting information on our website, blockchainrecorded.com, and listen to us on Google, Apple, and Amazon Podcasts, as well as Spotify, Radio Public, and Stitcher. Stay healthy and tuned for our next episode.